Hey everyone, welcome to Guards of Eden. Today's guest is George Bell. I was introduced to George through our companies working together. George works for an amazing company called Sanctus. It's a mental health company which looks to help employees of businesses speak about their mental health troubles with professionals. I soon learned through getting to know George that he was bringing an amazing voice and brain in particular as well to the conversation of mental health. He's very open and vulnerable about his experience with mental health and it's something that I really appreciate about this conversation. For those people that do know me, I've always had a desire to be a part of the conversation of men's mental health in particular but of course the conversation of mental health overall. And George also has a similar mission and the fact that he's combining that not only through through his writing on his LinkedIn profile but also the fact that he's working with this amazing organization that's looking to help bring mental health to the forefront of business and organizational conversations. So we cover a bunch of themes in this. George is very open and I just love his perspective in terms of what he's gone through and his ability to and his ability to verbalize that and whilst also understanding the landscape of mental health overall in society but also in particular in business. I love this conversation. Just really enjoyed it. I'm super, super grateful for George and his story, his time. And just the work that he does is just something I'm really drawn to. So please go check him out on on his LinkedIn profile, which I'll leave in the show notes. And also, I just hope you enjoyed this conversation. The, The conversation of men's mental health and mental health overall has really kind of elevated in the past 18 months with everything that we've been battling through. So hearing another highly emotionally intelligent man and someone that's worked on self-awareness, self-understanding, it just made this conversation incredibly valuable and something that I'm very, very happy I just got to be a part of. So without further ado, three, two, one, let's go. Hey, George, how are you? Hey, Luca, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation. I've been um, looking forward to it. So I appreciate your time. Question number one. So I ask all of my guests for a contribution because I have the Guards of Eden soundtrack, Mm -hmm. which is Spotify playlist. And it is each guest gives me a song that reminds them of a happy memory or just makes them feel good in general. So George, can you give me a song that makes you happy or reminds you of a good memory? Yes, I can. Do you know? Uh, do you know Benediction by Hot Nature? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's my song. It, it it reminds me of uh, of more than a few good times at uni. So I put that <laughs> on. I'm straight away. I'm back at uni. I'm back and in, back into happy times. And it's funny because we um yeah we've just spoke about it being off mic, but yeah, both of us at uni the same time. Yeah. As soon as you said it reminds me of uni time, I was like, ah, it reminds me of uni time. <laughs> yeah. I love that song, and that's a great contribution. So. Thank you, George. That is living on the Gods of Eden soundtrack. So check out the show notes. Right, George, let's get into it. So how do you remember your childhood growing up? And what was a young George like growing up? Yeah, God, we're, we're rolling about the years here. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I had, to be honest, I had a, I had, I had a, had a great childhood. Um, you know, I had a good, good supportive family. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't have to worry about money or anything like that. So i for the most part i had a I had a, an easy good childhood and good upbringing so i think i'm you know i'm really really grateful for that uh, but i think as a kid 
and I'm sure we'll, we'll come onto this, but I was super, super sensitive, like really sensitive, really shy. Um, yeah, like just incredibly so. And yeah, I think that, that how I was as a kid and how I've always grown up that way, I think later that has played into my mental attitude, my, my psyche and, and my mental health issues and, and that whole story and all the story I've had to tell myself around masculinity and what it means to be a man and, and all of that. I mean, I, I know everyone always says, you know, look back into childhood, but I think that it really has been a long running saga for me. So yeah, I had, I had a good childhood, but then yeah, there was parts of that, which I think have, have parts of that story that I've, I've had to keep revisiting and, and work on now, like late into my twenties. Yeah, so that's really interesting, mainly because I was really similar and I feel like, I don't know if there's been a massive transformational change for like a kid growing up now, there feels like there's more of a space now for a kid that's sensitive, like you said, something I really related to. I was like a big deep thinker. I was very sensitive. And yeah, the, the idea of the definition of masculinity is opened up slightly, I feel like, and there's more tick boxes, there's more differences between what masculinity is in 2021 to how we may have had it kind of in the late 90s going into the early 2000s. So yeah, I'd love to know, learn about a bit more about that. So yeah, in terms of stuff that you've kind of had to revisit, what was your experience like being a sensitive child? And was it something that, how frequently were you aware of just knowing that that was quite different, I think, or at least it even if it wasn't different, it wasn't considered like cool. All these like, you know, words that you associate with like what it is to fit in as a growing up, like growing up and in those early teenage years, whether it's cool or were you very conscious of that being sensitive maybe didn't fit, didn't fit into that norm. And how did you go about, yeah, just finding your way in life as like a growing up and I think teenage years specifically, but were you conscious of it being something that wasn't considered maybe cool or wasn't considered like being a real man massively in quotations when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's been a, I think I sighed there cause it's been a, like it's been a journey in itself, like yeah. a, well over a decade long journey because I think when I was a young, young kid, like primary school years, like you just, you're, you're too young. I was too young to, to think about anything like that. I think it really became obvious to me when I was in secondary school so I went to an all boys secondary school which you know I think looking back don't have a lot of happy memories of of that yeah because I did feel so different there I think you know being being shy being sensitive I'm a pretty skinny guy like I'm not I'm not your sort of like macho like muscly guy I'm not really macho in any sense of the word like I wasn't really into sport wasn't into football, which is the big thing as a as a man, right? I wasn't into rugby, which was the main sport at our school. Um, I was scared of girls, like just just all the, all of this stuff. It was like a melting pot of like, yeah, issues at an all boys school. And I, I think it, I started to realize I, I felt different, and I think I was bullied for being different. Like a cardinal sin. One of the, one of the lessons I can't remember what happened, but basically I cried I cried in a lesson year seven and that was it like you can imagine what it was like in a boys school like I was relentlessly bullied for it whether they would use the term bullying or not I don't know but that's that's how it felt so I didn't didn't enjoy school at all and I, that carried on for years and years and years like I 
always felt different there. There was always something someone was able to make a comment about, whether it was my weight or how I was with girls or whatever. So I think, yeah, I, I really started to feel different and like a bit of an outlier and not cool. And yeah, as you said, like not not a man, like not a real man. That was I think that was the thing that kept circling around my head was that, yeah, I wasn't a real man. I think that was that was really, really difficult to deal with, like really difficult to deal with. And as we hit, as I hit like sick form and then into uni, I just, I sort of wanted to like reinvent myself as, as like a lot of people do. I wanted to like remold myself into the, the image that society tells us we need to be like, like a bit more macho and a bit of a dick and whatever. So I think I did, I tried to do that a little bit and then, yeah, like, to cut a long story short, I really started struggling with my mental health, which is I'm sure we'll, we'll come into, onto. And the, the whole masculinity thing was a massive part of that because I was, there was, I was doing things I didn't want to do. Or I was trying to be a person I didn't want to be, which contributed to me being super depressed. And then actually, I think a big part of my recovery was realizing that it's so, like I'm okay the way I am. It doesn't make me any less of a man. I'm just a different man to other people, but. I can still be shy and sensitive and not have like massive biceps and I can still be a man. And that, that was a really, um, that was a really, really big part of my, my journey. And I feel super comfortable in, in myself now, which is such a, such a breath of fresh air, but really it's, you know, it's taken, I'm 28 now. I don't know when that first year seven, when I, year seven, I think you're like 13. So it's been like, Jeremy, it's been like a 15 year journey to get to this point really. Um, so it has, it has been a long one. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, I don't have to imagine your experience. I feel like I lived it um, because I was the exact same. I went to an all-boys school. I look back on the time with resentment and displeasure and for those exact same reasons, I mean, the only difference maybe is that I played sport and I think that ended up becoming like a, just a survival tool really, more than anything else, more just self-preservation just because if I didn't have sport, yeah, God knows where I would have been in terms of the bullying because, yeah, look, there's there's key, like, terms that have got negative context because they're used to cloud bullying in terms of banter, um, just guys joking around, like, all these different things, right, which, in a vacuum, they can be very positive and good for, like, just male-to-male interaction and bonding, but naturally they're used as, like, scapegoats for really bullying and... Yeah, yeah. It's um, it never fails to both amaze me, surprise me, and warm my heart. I guess in a very strange way that, as a guy, me and you never meet until you know we haven't met met properly, but we don't get introduced to each other until twenty twenty one, and yet I look at you and I'm like, I feel like your shadow in terms of like, just so much about your story is extremely similar to mine, and then. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just this. It's wild that so many guys go through that, and I think, yeah, we're the same age, but like all these different, yeah, just different things. It's very, it's very surprising, yeah. but yeah. I guess heartwarming because it's like you naturally as a dude, you feel like you're on your own. I think in terms of that journey, you feel like your experience is completely unique, and largely there's loads of things that me and you even have got like very much in common and I feel that's probably more common for the male experience so yeah I appreciate you sharing your experience and I think 
I'd like to imagine guys listening to this are like, fuck me, that's exactly the same shit that I went through like at that age. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think like, not always, but I think at the, when you hear a, a, a man talk about his mental health story, if, if he has one, um, or his mental health issue story, there's often at the root of it is some sort of like repressed emotion or repressed character trait or they're not being quite who they want to be. They're trying to be someone else. It's It's quite like a, yeah, it's quite like a, a masculine thing in our day and age to, you know, put on the brave face and be who you think you're meant to be or who society wants you to be, um, which obviously just, you can't, you can't wear that mask forever. So it's the more and more men I talk to in, in this space or about mental health, it's amazing how much of it comes back to some sort of like not being who you really want to be causing mental health issues. Yeah. And I think, the more that there is guys like you that are very available, very present in the conversation of men's mental health in particular, but of course we'll get onto it, but like your experience in terms of being in the overall conversation of mental health. But I feel like the more men like yourself are present in that conversation and come from a non-judgmental place, a place of true vulnerability, I think, you allow more and more guys to be accepting of who they are, like you said. So you potentially limit the guys, I guess, battles in terms of the, or the severity of the battles that people may have because, yeah, a sensitive guy with me, it's like I've got a few friends that are more sensitive with me maybe than they are with other guys in there like that are closer friends just because I'm a bit more accepting and a bit more conscious of it. So, yeah, I feel like, it's one of the key reasons, obviously, I wanted to speak to you, but this idea of you're a man providing a voice that's far more non-judgmental and accepting of, and more of an open mind to what a man can be, or the, at least the parameters of what make a man. So, yeah, yeah I'm extremely grateful. And it, yeah, just once again, it's always very, it's very just surprising how much you have in common with someone's story, even though you've, you know, we've never spoken about our individual stories until now. But, um yeah. Yeah, I love it. And as you said, it does go into your time at university, which, once again, another thing that we, you know, I don't have any idea of until we start talking, but both of us do venture down south for university. Um, you being the far more intellectual of the pair of us, you you strive into the University of Southampton, whereas I was at Solon. Um how did you find that transition from London down south? Because I found it a real challenge. So I'm intrigued to just hear your your transition story. But what were those early days like as well in Southampton? Because we've spoken about it just off mic. It's a really fun place. And especially when you get the student loan, you get the, for me, the first kind of real independence. So independence, money, party town, and just consistent nights out where I felt like you could go out six days a week in Southampton very easily without without having to force it. There was some sort of night out. So, yeah, how did you find that transition down south? And what were those early days like at uni in Southampton? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, you, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, <laughs> I, it, was, it, it, it was a party town, right? Like, I remember when I, when I told my school the unis I was looking at, and one of them was Southampton, they they tried to warn me off it because they were like he hasn't got re- good reputation re- good reputation down there like businesses know it's a it's a party uni or a party yeah. town. and I was like that sounds that sounds good <laughs> um, but yeah I, I, the 
the transition for me was fine. I, I don't, I, I, so long ago now, but I don't, I don't remember thinking too much about it at the time or, or worrying about it. I think I just, I knew it was just a natural next step and I just I felt ready for it. Mm. Um, I think I, I'm not, or at the time I wasn't someone that was too concerned with like flying the roost super far and moving abroad or moving like really far up north. So I think I'm a bit, a bit different now. Like I've traveled a bit more now, but I think at the time I, I wanted to stay closer to, to home and family. So I think actually that, I think that helped me. Like if it was far enough away from London to be a different town, a different city, um, but it was close enough that it was like a 50 minute drive from a house if, if like I needed to get home or needed a parent to come down. So it made, to, be, to be honest, like I, I, I actually loved the early, yeah, the, the first couple of years for, for sure um i think because of what you said like the, it was just the relentless party and there was always something going on yeah um i just i, I just I, I think that's what i wanted and what i needed like i liked i liked socializing i liked meeting people i liked being out so for me yeah for me i absolutely loved it it was it was the my, my third year when I, I started to struggle so i think that's the third year is like I've got a mix of emotions with the third year. There was a lot of, a lot of good stuff happened in third year and I met a lot of people and had fun, but then there was a cloud hanging over me. So I think that, that year is always tainted, but on the whole, I look back at uni with just, yeah, just, just like good, good memories really. Yeah. You've mentioned that third year and something that I found both amazing, but also just shocking, I guess. You managed to have three different jobs while studying your degree. So when that happens, how aware of you that like how early on into that part of your time at uni are you like, oh, this is quite intense. It's quite challenging. It's demanding. And what were kind of the residual impacts of you having such a busy life at that time when you're yeah, you're working multiple jobs and you're studying a gr- at studying your degree and you're trying to, you're at the last hurdle of the degree as well. So, of course, you're conscious of the fact that it's kind of built into this crescendo of like a quite an intense workload. But, yep. yeah, how do you, um, how conscious are you in the moment and upon reflecting on it? I think look, looking back, like, it was just stupid. I was just stupid. Like, I just, like, looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, yeah. it's so obvious that that just wasn't, that just was not a healthy lifestyle. But at the time, I was way too young, way too naive, like no self-awareness. I just didn't, mental health, all this, it didn't mean anything to me. Like men, I don't know if I'd ever, obviously I probably heard the words mental health, but I, I don't remember them. So I just, I didn't have any appreciation for downtime, for balance, for, yeah, for mental health. I think I'm someone that's got a lot of energy in me. Like I'm quite, quite energetic yeah. i like to be a bit of a doer so that was all i had in my head back then i just want, I want to do everything i wanted to be everywhere i wanted to be on every night out i wanted to meet everyone i wanted all the jobs i wanted to be at the party till the end so i wanted to so it meant i was there you know i was at the party until 6 a.m then i was up two hours later to go and do my dissertation at uni just that kind of hamster wheel not not eating properly it's just it was just constant. Like it was absolutely constant all year. Just like go, 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 go. Um, yeah. Throw the poor diet into that, the alcohol, late nights, all of that. Um, yeah. I like was obviously burning myself out, like clearly, although I didn't know it at the time. And yeah, I really, really started to crash in third year. And I think crashed hard towards the end of the year. And that's when 
think anxiety was starting throughout the year and then I think I just got hit by like a wave of depression burnout all of it at the end of the year and still probably took me a while to to be like okay I've probably contributed to this quite a lot again I just didn't have the didn't have the awareness or the education to to know that I was doing that we we were never taught that so like hindsight's such a beautiful thing right that I can look I can look back now and be like well clearly that wasn't good and I've had to work on that in my 20s like I've had to work on that energy I've got and the need to do things I've had to consciously make a decision to bring more balance into my life and bring more space in but when I was like you know 20 I'm just there I didn't know about it I just want to have fun like, I just didn't think about it but yeah without a doubt it it played into to my mental health issues yeah it's um yeah once again that's been a a wrestling point in my own life it's yeah it's it, I'm finding this conversation very strange for that reason just like the similarities and themes but the idea of the 28 year old George can look back and have kind of the wisdom that you've gained over just hard work. Once again, I think, because we don't look at men like working on your mental health as particularly like as work. Cause it isn't tangible a lot of the time, but it is, and it's very challenging work. But as you look back at 20 year old George now, what were maybe some symptoms that you're conscious of now of like, oh no, this is when it was going downhill and I could see my mental health dissipating then. And actually, I, yeah, I will ask this question. What what would maybe be a, like a piece of advice that you'd give to a younger George back then? Starting third year, I think, would probably be a good timeline because I guess you're saying that that's when it started maybe slipping downhill. But what would be a piece of advice you'd maybe give that George in going into third year to kind of potentially save yourself from maybe doing some of the damage that ended up happening because yeah I look back and there's obviously 20 year old Luca there's a bunch of things I'd like to tell myself but yeah what would be maybe a piece of advice that you'd maybe be receptive to at 20 but also something that you'd know that would maybe have limited the damage I guess yeah it's funny because I like I want to I want to tell myself like be more balanced like have balance like take time out take time off you don't need to do everything. You don't need to be everywhere. You don't need to meet everyone. I don't know if I would have heard it back then, to be honest. Like, I think I would have just been like, what is this woo-woo thing you're talking about? Um, but I, th- I think I would have I would have probably liked to lean more on, like, telling myself that I didn't need to try and be a certain way or I didn't need to hide certain things. Or I think, yeah, I think I would have wanted to tell myself to just be more who I wanted to be and be more honest about that. I think there was, you know, parts of myself I was hiding or um, maybe I was doing things I didn't really want to do just because you get caught up in it. And when it came to struggling, I didn't tell anyone. I wasn't talking about it. I think all of that just caused me longer term damage. So I think, I think maybe there'd be something around just like, just trying to tell myself to like, chill out a bit more, relax, or just, just be yourself. Like stop trying to be what you think everyone else wants you to be and just, just be you yeah yeah which is yeah that's a fantastic piece of advice i wish you could have told 20 20 year old luca that too but um yeah i love it and i think one thing is that yeah look i've spoken about it i don't even think i've spoken about it too much on guards of eden but on other platforms saying that i had my own like mental health issues especially at university i think that's probably when mine were the most powerful or at least the most 
destructive like we've said you know being able to go drinking and just the self-destruction was easier to access i think maybe at 20 than it is at 28 so although i'd love to say i'm more enlightened and more wise which could be the case there's probably an element of like yeah i just don't have the freedom to be as self-destructive as i maybe was back then but (laughs) one thing that i would like to say because this is just through my personal experience. I had a lot of trouble speaking to my friends about my mental health battles at university. And I don't know if that's because we were in uni in those early 10 years, you know, the 2011, 12, 13 years. But one thing I was wondering was how did you find your support system of friends at uni? And was it something that you just didn't think to speak about when you were struggling? Or was it something that you maybe just didn't feel was available? Because I think one thing that I'll, briefly say before i obviously let you answer the question is i was asked about like men's mental health once and i remember it hit me like in the moment this idea of sometimes i think people expect men they're doing it on purpose that they don't want to talk to people and i at times felt like sometimes i just wasn't equipped to do so i didn't know how to so i feel like there's a very big difference between knowing how to express yourself in a positive way for your mental health and feeling like you don't even have the necessary skills to do so so i was wondering if you could answer yeah basically the question of how did you find your how was your support system in terms of at university were they receptive to the conversation of when you were struggling mentally and did you even feel like you had necessarily the the capability to be like i'm really fucking struggling and i need to work out a way of like saving myself there's an element of self-preservation that i need to engage in because i'm really struggling but yeah three massive questions i've just chucked you away please do as good a job as you can um yeah it's just the men's mental health conversation always gets me going as you can imagine but yeah um me me too me too it's what what i'm most passionate about but yeah yeah, i think i think you've like you've definitely hit the nail on the head there um i mean my my support system was completely non-existent and that wasn't because it wasn't there. It was because I didn't like reach out to it. I just, I didn't tell anyone. I just told no one, like literally not a single person, didn't tell friends, didn't tell family, didn't tell my girlfriend. It was just this massive weighty secret that I was carrying around with me everywhere. Like I could, I could feel it like physically weighing me down wherever we were. And I just didn't tell anyone of course if i'd only just opened up and like when i did start opening up post uni of course there were people around me that want the best for me were there to support me helped me but at the time yeah i just like i said you you hit the nail on the head like i didn't know how to start that conversation like i i didn't even get to the point of okay i'm going to talk about it because i was so far in the step behind of not even knowing what it was like I didn't have the words to describe what I was feeling later like looking back once I got diagnosed I realized it was anxiety depression suicidal thoughts I understand that now but back then I didn't know like when these weird things were happening in my body when we were on nights out and you know I was drinking too much like Red Bull and my body was going all weird and I I felt like out of my body and I mean you you know what it's like or suddenly had a couple of days where I just I couldn't get out of bed literally couldn't get out of bed I just mm-hmm. felt super super low I did I just didn't I didn't we didn't have didn't have the education like I, I, you know I, I really believe we're like we're failing 
kids with our education system in in, in this country because I just I didn't didn't know what it was didn't have the words didn't know how to start the conversation so I didn't I didn't bother and then I think with layer on top of that the the image that I think society had projected onto me of what it was to be a man I told myself I also I'm I'm not meant to talk about my feelings like you don't you don't do that because then you're weak you're not a man da, 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 da. I was in the middle of my whole thing of like wanting to reinvent myself be a man I, all of that was playing into it so it just didn't didn't even cross my mind to, to have that conversation um which again like did me more damage than good that was something I had to to work on um but yeah I just yeah I think as you said mate just just didn't didn't have the words didn't know how to have that conversation let alone want to be able to do it yeah and I think yeah yeah just completely agree and just completely relate to it especially I had a bit of a back injury at uni and ended up having surgery during the end of my second year but the idea of that physical pain and the emotional pain like yeah there were days I just like couldn't get up didn't really have a desire to anyway it's this idea of and because uni life uni life allows you to kind of cloak it like that isn't like it sounds mental at 28 to not get out of bed but at 20 as a university student that was like par for the course and yeah people that weren't even having mental health troubles weren't really doing much like on days after hang like with hangovers and stuff like that so yeah it's just um once again another thing like themes i just really highly relate to and i'm appreciative yeah. for you sharing but something that i didn't battle with but i feel like i could have i think um was i ended up having quite a lot of access to drugs especially in my first year i feel like i was offered everything short of heroin for free and could have access to it as much as i wish and i think it's a it's another theme of the conversation of mental health and especially young male mental health that maybe doesn't get discussed more. There's an element of taboo kind of discomfort around the topic of addiction, especially when it comes to drugs. But you've spoken about it before your eventual kind of, it became, I guess I'm assuming a self-medication process to help counteract mental health challenges you were having was the idea of using drugs. So you're working, one of your jobs is working in the nightlife industry, which I think also there's an element of hand in hand with drug use in terms of that, just that industry alone. But can you speak to that time and just the process of what it takes to not only battle addiction in that sense with everything you've got going on, but also kind of what you took from that time to then help you as you were transitioning outside of university yeah i mean like drugs drugs and um, yeah like recreational drugs yeah. were a big part like big part of well obviously uni and like nightlife and stuff but in my my story as well like i've i have i've never shied away from talking about it and I've, sometimes people are like you shouldn't talk about that because it's illegal and i'm like well it's part of my story it's a big part of the story People out there are doing it, like kids are doing it, uni students are doing it. It's it's messing people up, if not done in the right way. Um, so I think I think that's why I don't I don't shy away from from talking about it. And I don't I don't advocate for like a complete ban on drugs. Like I think I, I had a lot of fun with drugs. I started taking them my second year, had some amazing nights out. I met 
I've met friends because of it, went to places because of it, had such a good time. Um, so again, like I'm not, I'm not anti-drugs. I think what I am anti is yeah. Like how they're used. And as I, as I went into my third year again, because I didn't have, didn't have the right education. These drugs are illegal. So I'm, I'm getting stuff in like dodgy ways and, and even the drugs themselves are, are like, they're not going to be good for me. I'm not like, they're going to be, there's going to be stuff in there that I shouldn't yeah. be having. It meant that that contributed again to more like more damage for myself. Cause I, it was, I started turning to these, these drugs as, as escapism really like, I wasn't addicted to the drugs themselves, but I was addicted to, I think one, originally it was like the social element it brought. Like I loved that. And so I carried that into third year, but then I, I did start to get a little bit addicted to the, to the escapism, which I guess probably is addicted to the drug itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like, as we already touched on, like there was, there was nights out every single night at Southampton that you could always be going out. People were always up for it. There was always stuff available I worked in the nightclub industry, like you said. So if it wasn't an offer to me there, I knew people who were constantly trying to get me out or selling it or whatever. So it was just, con it was constantly there. And I was, I was doing it too much. Like I was, I was doing it way too much. Um, and yeah, I, I just, like, I think it just completely fucked me up, to be honest. Yeah. Like I look, I look back on it now and I'm like, again, just stupid, like so, so stupid. Cause I'm taking all manner of stuff. Like, things that are going to send me up, things that are going to send me down, mixed with alcohol, all on the same night, burning my serotonin, my, my nerves that were going all over the place, like days long come downs. Of, of course, of course, that is going to make me feel shit. Mm. And if I'm struggling at the time, of course, that's just going to make me more depressed. And yeah, as we've already said, I wasn't eating properly anyway. Like, working all these jobs uni I, I was just burning myself out from like 15 different angles um so that that was yeah that like i think i did myself a lot of damage with with that to be honest um and that carried on when i left uni like because okay. I, I felt what i, I was I, I, I crashed more after uni i got more depressed after uni because finally uni was over and then it was like I was meant like suddenly you're thrown out into the, to the world and I was meant to have all my shit together, go get my first job, all of that. And actually I was, I was like, I've been struggling for about a year. And I think it was around that point when I was like, okay, like I actually am in trouble here. Like whatever this is, it's not going, I, something's not right here. So it's easy to turn to, again, turn to drugs again. Um, and then I just, I had a, I went on a trip to Berlin with, with some mates and we took a bunch of stuff while we were out there. I just had a really, I had a really like dark, dark night, to be honest. I could I just went completely off the rails and all, all that I was thinking about was like suicide. It was just, it was just pinging through my, my head. I was stuck in this horrendous loop. And I remember everyone else had gone to bed and I was just lying there, like this thought going around. It was, it was proper scary. Like when I think about, I could, I've got like a, um, I can feel a shiver going through my body. Yeah. I'm going to talk about it now. Yeah. Um, Cause it was proper scary. And I, I came out from that trip and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I can't keep doing this. So then I, I was like, that's it. I'm not doing drugs anymore. Um, and since then, like, I've, you know, I've, I've dipped in and out very, very occasionally, but I, I took a break for a couple of years until I got myself like back on the home straight. Cause I was just like, this isn't doing me any good here. No. And, um, and look, I bring that up with 
the idea of like there is positives to certain drugs like especially like weed we're learning about more and more the the positive benefits of the some of these recreational drugs so yeah whilst destigmatizing it it's this idea of it's i feel like it's far more common once again than it's not discussed because it's not discussed it seems it almost seems more extreme drug use than it maybe even is in reality because yeah i you know i i could have done everything under the sun i feel like in the first six weeks of uni like i got offered everything and i think that's maybe more conducive to the city we were in and the culture of the city in terms of it being a party town being surrounded by uni students and just yeah it was it's very easy to see that direction to go in and that it's far more common i think yeah look i understand the kind of the reservation of people wanting you to talk about it 100 percent. i think it's incredible that you've been so open and honest because it can be that you being honest about your conversation with uh, honest about your experience with drug use and not just saying it's all bad da, 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 like actually providing nuance to the conversation it does give someone it's it's probably easier to be received as someone that is going down that path and maybe just hasn't traveled as far along it and yeah i just find it incredibly valuable and it's one reason why i wanted to ask you about it it's like i didn't want to ask you about it just for like you know gruesome like detail or whatever it's that because you've probably provided new ones you provided like great value to the conversation once again of mental health but that branch in particular of drug use and being at university is um yeah it's incredibly valuable and i have to thank you for that it's yeah it's just something i'm highly appreciative of you you bring into the conversation yeah yeah like like i said like i i think i know it's not spoken about enough so i I know it's value and i think i think we're super super behind in well if not in this country at least in like western society with with our view on on drugs like as as you mentioned there's there's a lot of studies coming out showing the benefits of some drugs in the right using the right way on people's mood and their mental health like um mdma um shrooms there's like there's studies that show it's it's helping people with depression yeah. so i think i think there there's a lot of benefits to these to these things and it, it, it i mean we could go off on a different tangent with this but <laughs> it baffles me that a lot of this stuff's illegal and then you still got alcohol out there which actually you know in the hands of someone who's super super depressed like it's not it's not healthy either yeah. um so yeah I, I think as you as you said i think that that's where my message is like if you, people are going to use them but um, so i'm not against that i just think it's knowing knowing when you're using it for the right reasons and when you're using it actually in a risky way or, or a way to escape yeah yeah what yeah just i agree completely um a quote that you had on a podcast that i would love for you to speak on because it really stuck with me i think you you said it at the back end of an answer so it ended up feeling like a bit of an exclamation point on the conversation but you had said on previous mental health battles and this is a quote now i look back and see that i see it as a real strength so although i think people who haven't suffered think he has a weak mind i just see it as something i've gone through and may go through again but it doesn't make me weak it makes me strong so that quote is incredibly powerful and it really resonated with me but i think how important has that mindset been to adopt in your life in general because we've spoken about the challenges but the actual reframing and adaptation of perspective of what 
mental health battles can actually be are i think they're just invaluable to a person like me and you that maybe i'm projecting here but potentially deep deep thinkers and sensitive people where being able to adopt that mentality of it's actually incredibly valuable to and it it actually makes me stronger for being able to have gone through what i've gone through and understand that i can go through it again but just how rewarding has that been too like in terms of yeah i don't want to i want to leave it purposely open but just how rewarding has it been to have that mentality or i don't even know if it's a shift but just that perspective whenever it was adopted or you realized it just how rewarding has that been for you yeah i mean it's it's, it's been game like game changing like nothing short of game changing i, I basically I, I heard this quote once that it was something like um the purpose of depression is is to deepen us but you you can widen it out with like the purpose of pain or suffering or whatever is is to deepen us and that really stuck with me because i think a lot of people see pain and challenges and stuff like that as uh something like something they have to get over and it's like a it's like a red mark on their record it's like a scar whereas actually i think when you reframe i'm not saying it's not easy like of course this stuff's difficult but i think when you reframe it as something that you can learn from and can help you grow i I think there's something about that that's really um yeah really kind of like refreshing because i the depth the emotional and like intellectual depth i think i now have from those challenges has just like has just been game changing as it's you know it's completely changed my life like it's changed where i've gone to where i want to live who i hang out with the job i have now what i want from my career goals it's it's, it's changed everything and I, I do think that's come from what i went through i'm, I'm sure like I'm sure there's people out there like of the old school mindset. Like I post a lot of stuff online. I'm sure there's people out there who look at stuff I write and me and think he's fluffy. He's a snowflake. He's weak, whatever it is. I used to care. Like when I was younger, I used to care. I honestly don't give a shit now. Like I really, really doesn't bother me because I think I just, like I've, I can feel the benefits of, what I've been through. I can feel it in, in my day-to-day life. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's not, not being an easy one. I, th- I think you can sometimes see that quote, like go around, like quotes like that go around, like, you know, pain only makes you stronger. Da, 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 da. I think it can be quite flippant when you just see it in like a, you know, a placard. And I think it can be easy to be like, it's not as easy as that. So I'm not saying it was easy. It's, you know, it's taken years of, as we talked about, had the stuff as a kid, not feeling like a fit in, I had my struggle, I had to reframe all of that. So it's taken taken years, but it's a mindset that I am so grateful I have now. Like it was it was worth the work, really, really worth the work. The mindset of that and the mindset of I think detaching myself from what other people think. As I said, as a kid, it was all I had to fit in. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to to be this macho man, but detaching myself from that, those two things together have just, yeah, it's just game changing. Like just the weight, like I think when I think about how I used to be getting caught up in in that versus how I feel now, I, I can feel a weight lifted off me. I feel so much, I feel like 15 stone lighter. So yeah, game changing. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, like you said, I feel like often with quotes of that nature that you've said, they can often, they go through the mind almost as a cliche or just a, 
woo-woo-y kind of way of putting it, but the way that you put it was something that it just stuck with me because it was it was acknowledging the bad and the good in one in kind of in the quote rather than just saying pain on its own is good it was the idea of knowing what it comes with that judgment but being knowing that it's a conscious decision to arrive at the point of the sentiment of pain or challenges or all these different things they're actually they actually make you strong long term so yeah it just really stuck with me and it's you know it's another kind of reason again once why i enjoyed the kind of prep work behind it just yeah hearing hearing the way that you you approach the conversation of mental health is something that i've appreciated more and more obviously in the short time of us knowing each other but yeah i'm extremely grateful but cheers mate appreciate that no problem at all so we're going to talk about sanctus in a bit because that's obviously where you're currently working and that's how we're actually introduced but before you started working at Sanctus, you were taking on work as a freelancer working as a writer. So you've mentioned that you post stuff online. I love it's another thing that I love about, you know, building this friendship with you, this idea of I love the way that you write, I love the way that you go about it. So can you speak to where the passion of writing came from in terms of when it came and just how you stumbled upon it, or was it something that was something that you were conscious of from a young age? And also just the value it provided you whilst you're working as a freelancer, because I guess I'm assuming it gives you this creative outlet that's personally quite satisfying. But yeah, can you speak to the value that you found from writing and as well as your time as a freelancer and also just where the passion of writing was born from? Because obviously it's something that's in practice quite consistently with your life now. Yeah, so as a bit of a backstory to this, actually, I think one... When I was younger, I loved writing. Like I loved creative writing. I I create. I did a lot of creative writing, but I think that was something I pushed away because, again, I think we're told as a society not to be creative. Like if you're creative, you're not a real man. Like men do. Like men kick balls and all that kind of stuff. Men don't do things with their hands. They don't paint. They don't write. They don't make music. Whatever. So again, that was something I pushed away, which like, I I think it just feels sad saying that. Like, again, I think it's just sad the way kids are educated with that. So it's, that was just, that just quite fell by the wayside for ages. Um, When I, so then the backstory to the freelancing is, was obviously struggling with my mental health post uni, ended up in a, a career or recruitment job straight out of uni i won't like fully go into details there it's a long story but yeah. essentially not not a good workplace for me like awful culture um management who didn't know what they were doing so i was, I was treated badly with my mental health issues so i, I left there um and I, just had to, I had to go on a journey of like recovering like looking after myself so that that was the focus and did that for like eight months and i just felt like i hit a ceiling at, at home in london i was just like i, I feel a lot better i feel good but I don't know, there's just too much memories and too much of the same here. Like I need to break free, I think. So I just, I did the cliche thing of booking a one-way ticket to Asia. Did that. I was like, that's, that, I'm going to find the answers at East. Um, <laughs> so I just, I flew East and I mean that, like, again, that's a whole other story in itself, but that was incredible. Like that was really what I needed. Um, 
But again, coming back to the whole, I'm a doer, like I need to do things really quickly. Within like a week, I was like, I need to do something. I'm getting too antsy here. Um, so I basically turned to freelance and I was like, I'm going to do a bit of freelancing. That means I can keep my career going, my experience going, bring in some money. And I was just like, what, what am I good at? Like, what, what can I offer? And I was like, well, I've always loved writing. Um, so I was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So yeah, I put myself out there as a, as a freelance writer, um, got back in touch with that side of myself, which I'd left as a kid. I think that was, that was part of the journey, I think, of, of recovery, like rediscovering those parts of myself that I, I pushed away. And it was great. Like, it was awesome. It, it, I ended up like sticking with it for, I think it was about three years. So I could just, I was, I loved the lifestyle. I was traveling. Um, yeah, it just, it, it just worked really nicely for me. I th- th- there was parts of it that I think personally I found difficult, which like, I'm not freelancing anymore. Like, I work full time at Sanctus. I, I think I, the, I started to feel quite lonely freelance I think there was parts of it that I just yeah I think I wanted like a tribe I wanted a community and I wasn't really getting that I was looking and I wasn't really getting it so it, it worked for a time for me but yeah I left the freelancing part behind but I've, I've carried on the writing with me like as you said I, I still do a lot of writing on on LinkedIn and stuff and yeah like I, I love it like it's 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 how I express myself it's like my creative outlet so yeah I'm found I'm glad that's like found its way back yeah just yeah once again the exact same story with me. Loved creative writing. Wasn't very masculine. Put it to bed and rediscovered it. But yeah, I just um, I would actually like to talk about it. Like, that there is something for me that's very interesting because it is something that I don't know if it's a if it's a British thing or a Western thing, but the idea of finding mental salvation in the East, like it's something that it's common or it's common in my life. So you know center of my own universe it's this idea of i feel like it's probably common elsewhere but how was that time traveling like just i'm going to leave it very open on purpose like how was that time traveling and how did you find adjusting when you did eventually come and move back Mm -hmm. i I can't tell you how good it was like i know i know obviously the it's so cliche being like (laughs) i found myself and all of that but no it's it's true though It, it yeah because it came at the time I needed it. Like I'd just come off the back of like two years of mental health struggles, suicidal thoughts. Like I was in some difficult places. I had a lot of, a lot of stuff going through my head. Like, yeah, I'm like telling myself I'm broken and I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to hold down a career. The life I'd mapped out for myself of like swanky London job with a suit and car. Da, da, da. I was like, I'm not going to have that anymore. Do I even want that? There was just so much stuff going around my head that I needed. I needed a fresh start. Like I just needed it, and so it that came at a really, like, really, really good time. I just it was just so it was just freeing. I think it was just freeing. Like there was no, I didn't have any pressure. There was no pressure from family or friends or work or society or any of that. I could just do what I wanted out there, and I just, I just met a bunch of people who were on their own journey, like. I met people of different ages. So people who are 18, people who are like mid thirties, people in their forties, everyone had a story. Like everyone was there for a reason. Like people were running away from some stuff. Some people have been through some difficult stuff. They were looking, they were looking for a similar thing. So I just think that, you know, there was a lot of people I met that probably weren't my people normally. And I maybe weren't my people, wouldn't be my people back here, but there was something about the fact that, 
it didn't really matter while you're out there. Like everyone was just there to, to have a good time, to have fun, to explore with their own story, their own journey. And there was something about that that just like it was quite leveling. And it was, it was, it was just so, it was so nice. And it was, it was what, it was just what I needed. And so, yeah, quote unquote cliche, I found myself basically. Um, so I think coming back actually I felt very different and that it was it was commented on in like in a good way I think you know I was always before I was so wrapped up in what other people thought of me I remember a couple of instances really really distinctly where I think something got said where normally I'd I'd get really embarrassed about it and da, 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 da. whereas I just I just sort of laughed and I remember someone being like you wouldn't normally do that I can see you different and I, I, it's always stuck with me because I'm like, oh shit, it's, it's been noticed. That, that. Um, so yeah, I, it, again, it's not something I, like I don't have a massive urge to do it now. Like I'd, I'd love to go away, of course, but I'm not bothered about that, the months and months of traveling, but then it came at the right time for me and it was, yeah, like completely transformational, completely. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Um, yeah, I had it with summer camp was mine in America. Um, let's talk about your, I believe it's 2018, but you find yourself starting your journey at Sanctus. So yeah, I would love for you to speak on the company Sanctus because the work you're doing is fantastic. You in particular and the company, but, and how did you find those early days of transitioning into more traditional work in terms of employment as you transitioned out of freelance work? Because I can imagine that although it was a change that it sounds like you appreciated i guess there's still elements of you'd built a schedule that works for you and now you've got to go to working for a schedule that, that works for the company so how did you find that transition into traditional work and can you speak to yeah the work that you do and the work that sanctus does as a company yeah yeah so um i'll okay well, I'll, I'll start actually with how i found the transition because that will yeah. tee up nicely the reason why i found it okay actually yeah. um yeah i i found the I found it all right the transition i think because one yeah i started to have doubts about freelancing like i just knew it wasn't right for me like i, I felt lonely um i felt like i i didn't know where i was heading Like i didn't really i couldn't really see like the the path in front of me just felt like i was just sort of collecting like clients and collecting paychecks really um and i, I became super interested in mental health like that when I first started freelancing so and traveling so this would have been 2016 I think um and I, I got back into writing I did it for a freelance like for freelancing but then I also got back into creative writing and that was around mental health so I set up my own blog I did some writing for like Huffington Post and stuff and I really like really started to get interested in writing about mental health which led me to writing for some of the mental health charities and that all just started snow snowballing a little bit. So I was doing this this like writing work on the side, like blog writing and stuff, SEO, that kind of stuff. But I was really interested in this mental health side, which was unpaid. I was just doing that like for free because um, I enjoyed it. But I just really started to feel like, okay, I think I think I've got a passion here. I think there's something for me in the mental health industry. I hated the way the industry was. It was clinical. It was it was hard if you weren't like it was aimed at people that was like really, really struggling. It's all about pity and charity. It wasn't, wasn't accessible for everyone. And if you weren't struggling, it wasn't aimed at you to try and bring you into the conversation. So then you didn't want to get involved in it. 
So I just I just hated the way the industry was. And that that was like I could feel there's a fire in my belly there. Um so yeah, so then Sanctus came along and there was just there was such a tee up, like such a match in our missions. Like I fell in love with the brand instantly because it was all about yeah, just trying to normalize mental health. It was about trying to make mental health cool. It was about trying to make it accessible. That James and and the other George, the two founders, they were always talking about like, why do we put pictures up of us working out at the gym? Like, and there's not something the same with mental health. Why is there not? Why is there not a Nike of mental health out there? Um, why is there not mental health gyms on the high street? And I was just like, yes, that, I don't know what you're saying, but I like it. So I think I think that like that made it easy for me to come back and take the job because yeah, I mean that, that's essentially our, our mission is to normalize the conversation around mental health, make it as normal as, as physical health. And um, we, we do that at the moment in, in the workplace through, through one-to-one employee mental health coaching, but we've got, got these grand ambitions to, yeah, one day put mental health gyms on the high street. And I just, like, I just fell in love with, with that, that mission and that vision because no one else was saying it everyone else was it was just yeah like i said it was just pity and it was dark and it was clinical um so there, there was such a match between the missions that i too much i didn't even i didn't have any doubts i didn't have any second thoughts about coming back full-time it just it just it just felt right yeah yeah and um yeah i'd like for you to speak to that the idea of how have you found working for a company where the missions i guess your personal mission in terms of the way that you live your life and look to help people through your own life. How have you found matching it being so aligned? The alignment being, yeah, just it just the, the synergy there. I hate using cliche kind of businessy words yeah. like that, but there is like a real synergy in kind of your, your life ethos and the company mission and the company brand. Cause that feels fairly uncommon in a lot of people's lives. So through that connection do you feel like that's deepened your just your passion and your kind of desire to engage in the conversation of mental health because you work for a company that i like to think of it as being very forward thinking but a company that is so conscious of being present in the conversation of mental health do you feel like working for that sort of industry is actually stoked an inner fire of being more present as george in the conversation of mental health yeah because i i think like I'm obviously more attuned to the conversation now and what's happening at a micro level and a macro level. So I'm aware of like, what are the government saying and what are the politicians saying and what are they doing and what are companies doing and what are celebrities saying or doing. And I, I think I'm just so aware of it that, yeah, I've like, I'm, I'm always wanting to get stuck in and get my opinion across on that and get our opinion across on that um and it, i mean it's, it's been like it's been it's been great i think just having that match of missions is just I, I obviously everyone needs to find the thing that works for them like i'm super purpose driven so for me I, I need that i need that to feel happy other people don't care they just want they want a big salary or whatever it is and that's that's cool um but i, I needed that i need a purpose and i need that purpose alignment so for me it's been great because it means it's just I'm just like super in flow all the time. I don't, I don't have to worry about who's work George and who's home. Obviously, you know, I'm not completely the same, but no, yeah, for the yeah. part, I can, I can share the same beliefs and I can be the same person. So 
think for me that's that's been really really important for me um and yeah like i've been here like three and a half years now so i've just I haven't looked back basically yeah it's um yeah it's incredible it's it's and yeah i just think because it's i don't want to say enable because you're your own man but this idea of having a company that is so conscious about mental health it ends up leading i'd imagine it leads to you feeling a little bit more free to just be like look we'll talk about it very briefly because i don't want to give the person but the conversation around simone biles dropping out of the olympics and the conversation around ben stokes kind of taking an indefinite break from cricket but and we won't mention the guy's name but this idea of it allows you to be more free and present in that conversation potentially just because you work for a company where you're speaking the company values but they're actually just your beliefs it's this idea of yeah yeah i'm not speaking for the company but you know it's nice to have that alignment in terms of what what the conversation became between those two athletes in particular is just obviously it's one it's one drip in a bucket of a larger conversation but the idea of i'd imagine that allows you to feel more free and a bit more yeah unhinged in terms of just saying no this is some bullshit and we need to start changing the way we talk about the conversation of mental health yeah and i I think that's another reason i love i love what sancta stands for and also working here because it allows me it gives me a platform to do this is that we are different with the way we talk about mental health and we like part one of our values is to be bold and I, I, we do live that like like I, I work in marketing at sanctus and we we live those values in our marketing like we are bold we do take risks we do say things that other brands like let alone mental health brands don't say and shy away from i love i love the freedom of that like not not to like shame people we're not we're not trying to do that but i think being able to you know like a lot of brands generally play it safe but particularly in the mental health industry like there's no like i said it's all it's clinical and it's stale and it's it's just not we wanted to put a stake in the ground and fly the flag of like guys it is ridiculous the way mental health is talked about we need to do something about this and be loud about that shout about it call out companies if they're like treating their staff like shit I think there's there's something about that which I like I love the freedom of that. Um like I don't think I couldn't see myself at many other mental health companies really because I I don't like the restrictive nature of it really because I, I don't think it it moves it, they, it can move the conversation forward. I think obviously like a lot of other companies out there they, they do great work but I, I just think for me taking the shackles off is how we move the conversation forward quicker. Yeah, yeah, and I agree too. One thing that I want you to speak on was because I think I don't know if we hold enough space for speaking to just how important it is to be vocal about your experience because sometimes it feels like people they're open about their experience it gets a largely positive response but they don't know why or I've found it before where I've been vocal about and people have been like that's amazing I'm like, well, I don't understand why, right? This or I don't understand the value. I don't know what it it gives. So, but I feel like you are a great, you're a great person to have the emotional intelligence to understand the value and where people pull value from because of the work that you do and just the man that you are. But yep. can you speak to the importance of 
not only being vocal about your personal experience, but also looking to bring your voice to topics around mental health, the idea of how important it is to share your voice on, like you said, companies treating their employees like shit or just systems that are in place where, you know, for me anyway, I'm a, we, we, you, you say you don't play sport, but you obviously watch it. But the idea of the conversation around Naomi Osaka, the conversation around Shakari Richardson, mm-hmm. Simone Bile was like, I think it's been massive in terms of recently with, it feels like we've reached like a big kind of boiling point with the idea of athletes and mental health through what they've had to compete through for the past 18 months now. So, can you speak to the importance of and the value that it brings like what valuable what value it brings to for a person to be ver- to be vocal about their own pen, um their own personal experience with mental health but also being con- also allowing to use your voice to speak on the i don't know really the injustices of systems and and companies with negative policies around mental health yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think like to, to your first question, like people, the reason people like seeing other people open up and why they find it inspiring, even if maybe the thing they've opened up on is different to something they've ever experienced is one people do, like people love stories, like people love storytelling. Like, you know, there's, we read books, we go cinema, like people love story. So I think when, when a story of like, personal struggle is shared that people like hearing that and going on that journey like the same you do in the cinema or whatever um but i think people really like that because they like seeing them themselves in that person like everyone's got their own struggle or pain or goal or thing they want to work on and seeing someone else having work through something or worked on something got to a certain place inspires them because it sparks a flame in them that they could do the same it's the same reason we love stories in the cinema like even though it's a little bit different it's why it's why like the marvel films have done so well for example because they the way they've written a lot of the characters as a lot of them are just everyday people or could be everyday people so they've made it so that you again you see yourself in that person you can imagine yourself being that person so yeah i think that's like storytelling is so so powerful we've to be honest we've built sanctus off storytelling like it's a bit different now we're a bit bigger like we we do the classic marketing things now like we put out guides and stuff like that but the early days the first three years the whole business was built off storytelling and community it's all we did really we just did loads of community events we had people there sharing their their story it wasn't thought leadership pieces it wasn't stat reviews and white papers. It was, I am this person. I've struggled with this and here I am now. And it just, it just took off like wildfire. So yeah, I think like we always advocate for storytelling. Um, when we kick off with a new business, we, we launch Sanctus in the business, but we ask a senior leader to share their story first. Again, if employee, like if employees see someone else sharing a story, a senior leader, it just sets the whole tone. So yeah, I think we're, I'm always banging on like, like I, my, my friends take the mick out of me a little bit because I like, I'm all, I love stories. Yeah. I'm always like, if, if there's like a sports person that's got a story, I instantly love them. I'm so much more interested in them. Same with an artist or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's, that's the first part of your question. And 
yeah, I think I think for the second part, I, I just like pe- we have people need to speak out on injustices. Like they they just literally need to. Sometimes it can get a little bit shaming. Sometimes you know there is there is probably a place for that sometimes. Um, but I, I, we just have to, like we've seen. I can't give any examples, but we know that when enough people get behind something, there there is there is change. Like when the voice is loud enough, maybe some change takes longer than it should do. Like Black Lives Matter, for example. But I just I just think, yeah, I just, I just think we have to because otherwise, like, just think things just won't change. Like the way some companies and some senior leaders view mental health and treat mental health is completely prehistoric. Like is it's honestly it's ridiculous and people need to speak out on that and we're seeing it happen like we are seeing it happen i think 20 years ago not even i don't have to go that far back you just it wouldn't be a conversation in the workplace you'd have a, a shit culture and a really bad manager and that's just the way it is but we are we are seeing stuff change now like people are calling out their own company on online People are asking in interviews, what is your mental health policy? People are leaving jobs because the mental health policies aren't good enough. So might take might take a while, but it, it, do, it does inspire change. Like I like to believe that people are sharing their stories online and everywhere else. It's inspiring the people that aren't sharing their stories, but you know, still have a voice. And then they're in they're in their company and they're like, actually, my boss is a bit of a dick and he doesn't treat me well. Like, what am I doing here? And then they quit that job and maybe that's just one person, but it's just, it's a small bit of change. And if enough people quit the job in that company, the company has to be like, right, what are we doing wrong here? So just, I, yeah, I just think it's like, it's the only way we're going to move the, com- the conversation forward because with, without it, businesses, you know, they're, they're not going to invest really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that answer. That was awesome. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. I just thought as complicated as a question as that can be. And I appreciate you. Yeah. Tackling it. Cause I, it was a it was a comp, it was a question I really wanted to ask, but understood that it was a very challenging, grandioso answer to have to give. But yeah, you've tackled it amazingly. I'm really grateful. But um, I want to ask you one more question before we plug life and we plug and we speak about the final four questions. So, George, you can you can really go about this question as what direct whatever direction you wish to go, whether it's professional, personal, however you wish to go about it, but Kind of as we're looking, I would like to believe we're on the back end of this pandemic. Um, <laughs> who knows? But I'm, I would like to believe so. Um, can you speak to what your hopes or dreams or goals or just general kind of wants from life as you look at the back end of 2021 and as you kind of project into what you're hoping for in 2022? Yeah, can you just speak to kind of what you want from life or what you want from work? Yeah. However you wish to tackle it. But yeah, it's just I want to give you the opportunity to kind of project forward and allow yourself to kind of think and feel whatever you wish looking forward. Yeah, I think to be honest, I a lot of the last year, I think I've just been trying to get through it really. I th- I think in the pandemic sapped me of a lot of energy and motivation and drive um which is fine like if that's what i've needed that's what i've needed but i do feel like i've lost a little spark in me that had this drive to like learn but like particularly professionally like i was always in courses and books before trying trying to just be 
like progress further in my career and be better at my career. And that, that's been like non-existent pretty much um, the, the last year really. So I think that I feel that missing. I think that if that's the one thing I can aim for, that is what I'd like to get back to really. Um, but again, like I'm not going to rush it. Like I've, what I've needed the last year is what I've needed. And that's the same for anyone listening. I think it's, again, it's easy to be like, I'm not doing this. Therefore I am X, but really I'm like, it's not it's not a problem like the, the the time will come yeah yeah and i feel the exact same by the way i've had a real creative lapse real i was saying it to someone recently i like i'm a big daydreamer usually and i'm usually yeah. like yeah i'm a very big daydreamer and i've really like not done it the past year like you said i feel like you just try and get through one stage of one thing and yeah it's um yeah, there's an element of like being in survival mode rather than just being in kind of life mode. So, yeah, yeah completely, completely agree. But, George, I'm going to give you this opportunity. This is shameless plug time. So how can people take in more of your writing? How can people find more about you? And, yeah, how can people just keep in contact as a supporter of George going forward? Yeah, pro- probably my best place is LinkedIn. Like I, I write quite a lot on there. So just George Bell on on LinkedIn um, at Sanctus. So yeah, that I, I, yeah I write pretty regularly on on there. So that's 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 my channel really. Um, and then we for us for Sanctus, it's Sanctus.io is our website. Awesome. That stuff lives in the show note, guys. So please check it out. George, final four questions. So these are questions that I ask everyone that. I wish I could ask more people in real life and not get a very strange reaction because I'm very geeky and kind of just want to learn more about people. But this gives me the context to ask you these questions and they're kind of more general life questions rather than specific. But first one, so George, if I was to give you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could only share one message, what would it be? I think for me, it is always like just be who you want to be I, I think forget forget what the outside world's telling you forget what society's telling you forget even what your friends and family are telling you because everyone's got everyone's going to have a some sort of motive or agenda or projection I, just like forget all of that cut out all the noise just be who you want to be do who do what you want to do and trust your gut. I think that would be my message. I love it. I love it. Question number two. What's a big personal struggle that you battle with that many people may not know about? I think maybe similar-ish to almost what you alluded to. Like I'm a bit of a, I am a daydreamer as well. I'm a deep thinker, which I love, but the flip side of that is it means I can turn into an obsessive thinker like quite easily like I can really obsessively think over things to the point where I just I just fishbowl and then rabbit hole and this tiny little thing I mean it's just it's just like anxiety in its truest form which might not even be a thing snowballs into this like debilitating line of thinking where sometimes I can't even get out of bed and I just, I can get myself into some really like, yeah, dodgy, dark places with where my mind goes sometimes. So I think that's something I 
have always had to try and work on. And I, I don't have the answer to it yet, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's, yeah, that's probably, probably what I'd go for. Yeah. And sign me up for that because that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I have. Um, <laughs> question number three, what are three personality traits slash characteristics that you'd say you've built your life upon up to this point? I quite confident which I've had to again I wasn't wasn't when I was younger but I've I've developed that and so I I back myself um which means I think I just I just go for opportunities really where I think maybe other people would hold themselves back that doesn't mean I always get them doesn't mean it always works out but I back myself to go for it and to, to get it maybe I don't but I think that's always served me really well like it, you know, it meant I've got the job at Sanctus. I've got a load of stuff in my freelance career, for example. So that's been really big for me. Um, I'm generally relentlessly optimistic. I can't, when I get into an obsessive thinking spiral, I, I'm not so optimistic, but generally I'm always like cup half full. Things are going to work out. We'll figure it out. It's going to be fine. Da, 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 da. That's been useful. Um, I think I just I just try and be like a nice guy. I think that's like I think I know it sounds so overrated, but or underrated, but yeah, I just try and be like a nice guy, like to who I meet or in business, like just try and assume that people want the best. And I try I didn't, yeah, again, it's not it's not always easy. Sometimes I'll say things I shouldn't shouldn't say, but I just try and be a decent bloke. And I think that has paid me dividends as well. I love it. I love all three. Um <laughs> And the final question, many years into the future, your time as George Bell is coming to an end. The person closest to you only has one sentence to describe you and your time here on earth. What would you hope that would be? I would want them to say that I have always stayed true to who I want it to be and that inspired a few people along the way. I think that would, that would, that would be satisfying. I love it. I love it. George, I can't thank you enough. This conversation's been incredible. I think there's just tons of value throughout the whole whole entire thing. And yeah, once again, I can't recommend enough to people listening right now. Please, please, please check out George's writing. I, me personally, I really appreciate kind of the voice that you bring to conversation of mental health, and I think you've summed it up very well as well. I feel like that's you've given a very accurate and insightful. Um, perspective into your own Ryan so I'm really grateful for that but yeah thank you so much I really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me appreciate it no problem goodbye everyone bye